Good morning. Let me just invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We'll pick up there this morning. Wasn't that a great baptism? And one of my big takeaways is if you have children, you definitely want Caleb baptizing them. Did you see how he got those towels? And like, it was almost like a barber, right? He, he gently, they're probably warmed. He probably warmed them before the service, knowing him. And he gently just wrapped them around and gave them a little hug. And they were so snuggly. And when I do it, there's just water everywhere. And I throw them a towel. That was well done. <laughs> Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Verse 8 and 9. So let's, let's just back up and let me give you some where we've been in chapter 1 and chapter 2. So chapter 1 is simple. It's, it's a Trinitarian salvation. So the, the Father chose you. The Son redeemed you. The Spirit sealed you. That's, that's essentially chapter 1 with, with a lot more. Chapter 2 then talks about, well, why did the Father have to choose you, right? And it gives a, a very pessimistic but honest view of man, Verses 1 to 3, we're, we're dead in our sin, we're enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're condemned as children of wrath. And, and so if you were to stop there, all would seem to be lost. And then you have the best words in the Bible, verse 4, it says, but God, right? But God who is rich in mercy, who loved us. And then Paul makes up three, three words. He invented them, and he said that he it made us alive together with Christ. He, he raised us up in the resurrection of Jesus together with Christ. And he seated us before the Father, the hand of acceptance, together with Christ. And so now he finishes he, this thought he's having, which is verses 1 to 10, by saying this. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God, so no one will boast. And so he summarizes what he said. And he says, look, there are three amazing things to you, believer, that are the gift of God. Grace, salvation, and even your faith. So if you would, please read with me verses 8 and 9, chapter 2 of Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no man may boast. We'll stop there. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, what a great day it is to gather as your people and worship. Just sit at your feet, adore you, and uh, revel in who you are and who you've made us to be, Lord. And by the power of the Spirit, through the Word, we get spiritual nourishment. We grow as your children. And I ask that now that uh, when we leave here, we'd be more in awe of you. Our heart would be warmed to glory in the Son, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, and what he's done for us. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a lady that used to always tell me, 
Rusty, I'm not, I'm not sure that I believe in Jesus, but I love God, and I know that that is enough, isn't it? So, is it enough to say, I, I love God in this life? Listen, if, if you are not joined to Christ in this life by faith, you will not be united to Christ by love in eternity. Years ago at um, Niagara Falls, probably before all of our safety regulations, there was a man and he, he had a um, trapeze line that went across. You guys ever seen those pictures? He had a trapeze line that, that went across Niagara Falls. And, and he would gather a big crowd of people and then he would say to them something like this, do you believe that I can go across Niagara Falls just with this pole? And they would say, yes, we believe. And so he would go across and he would turn and he would come back and he would say then, as people began to gather, do you believe that I can go across pushing this wheelbarrow? Yes, we believe. He would go across and then he would come back with the wheelbarrow and people were in awe and he said, do you believe I can go across with a person in this wheelbarrow? Yes, we believe. Sir, will you come get in the wheelbarrow? Are you crazy? I'm not getting in that wheelbarrow. But you said you believed. Right? Saving faith gets into the wheelbarrow. Essentially. It, it puts your life, your trust, into the hands and the work of Christ. It, it, think about it like this. Faith has many acts, doesn't it? Right? We do a lot of things by faith. So... so Maybe you tithe by faith, or you go on mission trips by faith, or you pray by faith. But saving faith, faith that saves, it gets into the wheelbarrow, in other words. It acts to receive Christ as Lord, and it rests in Him as our Savior. That is how faith justifies or saves us. It, it is faith that actually joins us to Jesus and surrenders to him. Ephesians 2, Paul concludes his thought that began earlier when he said this, but God, those great words, but God, who is rich in mercy. Now he says, he concludes by saying, this grace, this faith, this salvation, they are all gifts to you. There is no room for the believer to have a boastful heart about their salvation. So here's our main idea today. It's just this, that your redemption is a gift of God's grace. Your redemption is a gift of God's grace. We're going to look at those three things. We're going to look at grace, salvation, and faith. Let's start with this. Grace, a gift of God. Look in your Bibles there at Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8. And this is what I want you to see. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, you see those three words? Grace, saved, faith, together. And this, those three, this is not your own doing. Grace, faith, salvation. All three are the gift of God. You can't just single out one, all three. Now, with understanding that, let's start with grace. Grace, a gift. His point is, nothing else but God's grace 
could give life to the spiritually dead. That's the reason he starts with your condition. You're spiritually dead. And this is the second time that he said this exact same thing. He said it in verse 5. Like, it's almost like in verse 5 he couldn't contain himself. Halfway through his argument, he just throws it out there. By grace you are saved. And then he gives his conclusion here. By grace you have been saved. The message of the gospel is, is one of grace from beginning to end. That you were spiritually dead. God chose you. He redeemed you to be his child, to be alive towards God with the Holy Spirit. And you think about it, what act could be more one-sided than what he describes here? God redeeming a dead person and making him alive. That's completely one-sided and completely by grace. Think about it like this. What his law requires of you, his grace provides for you in Christ. Everything that the law requires of you, His grace gives you sufficiently, fills it up for you in the work of Christ. Now, he goes a little bit further and he says, by grace and not by works. So there's a positive and there's a negative. By grace, yes. No, not by works. So there's no confusion. Now, remember the audience here. Primarily Gentiles. And he's saying, your works as Gentiles, they don't save you. It's the same thing he says frequently about the Jews. So, Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So to the Jews, he's saying, look, by keeping all your Old Testament laws and regulations, you're not going to be justified. Law does not justify. Law only reveals your sin. It doesn't give any ability to cleanse it. Right? And then to the Gentile, whatever cultural things you thought were good and right, whatever spiritual things that you did and were passed down to you, those don't justify you. And his point is, every work, good work, on which any man or woman bases their hope of salvation does not justify. Right? Uh, Imagine a woman... And uh, she's been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced. She's committed multiple adulterous relationships. And finally, she finds herself on the streets. And she finds herself as a woman of the night for long periods of time. A man meets her and he decides to marry her. And at the wedding, he buys the most beautiful white wedding gown and clothes her with it. And there's a crowd of people there. And she comes down, and everybody knows her past. And as she comes down, she's beautiful. She's dressed in white. Everybody sees it. But she doesn't feel clean. And let's just say this is an outdoor wedding. And so she stops along the way, and she grabs some mud, and she smears it all over her dress and says, Now I feel clean. Now I feel washed. In doing that, she is actually destroying her cleanliness, her purity, by trying to add her works to it. And what Paul is saying here is this. 
By grace, not by works. By grace, you are clean by the work of another. By works, you make yourself dirty. By trying to add works to the work of Christ, you make yourself dirty. And what we so often do is, here's the work of Christ, the wedding dress. It makes us clean and acceptable before God. And when we don't believe the gospel, we're constantly wanting to come and add our good works and say, now, God, you're really pleased with me. And all we're doing is being the woman who takes mud and smearing it on what God made clean. It is by grace through Christ, not by works through me, that I am made acceptable. Now, let's go to the second thing. The second gift of God is salvation. Grace, first gift of God. Second is salvation. By grace, you have been saved. The Archbishop Temple in the Anglican Church said years ago, the only, th- and I love this quote, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is our sins. Isn't that awesome? Dude, the only thing that you give for your salvation, no works, is your sin. You see, your salvation is much more than just forgiveness. Your salvation that he paints here in chapter 2 is from something and it's to something. And he's already told us, verses 1 to 3. It is from being spiritually dead, you're saved. It is from being enslaved, you're saved. It is from being called a child that is going to face God's wrath for your sin, you're saved. That's what you're saved from. Verses 4 to 6, what you're saved to, right? To being alive together with Christ, you're saved to. You're saved to being raised to newness of life with Christ. And you're saved now to being seated in the hand of acceptance with the Father. From and to is your salvation. And the reason for this salvation is verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin. God's love and mercy in Christ is why you are saved. Not by works and not of ourselves. So this salvation from something into something, this deliverance, this redemption was accomplished by Christ solely, not my merit, not my personal goodness. You know, I was talking years ago uh, when we lived in Christchurch, I was talking to a a Hindu doctor, orthopedic doctor, who was doing some some work on my shoulder. And and as I saw him many times, we, we have wonderful conversations about who God is. And at the end, I asked him, would you be willing just to get together with me and have lunch for maybe a series of four weeks? And let's just talk through the sayings of Jesus and his claims, who he said he was. And he sat there for a minute, a very thoughtful man. And he said, I I actually, Rusty, I actually don't need to. You see, my kids go to a Christian school and I had a discussion with the chaplain there about my faith. And the chaplain said, quote-unquote, you are just fine. The chaplain essentially said, it does not matter what door you go through to be saved, just go through a door. It's your personal preference. It leads to the same courtyard, in other words, the same place, the same salvations. The claims of Christ seem to be very 
self-righteous to the world, don't they? Which, which, if you think about it, makes total sense given the understanding of salvation that this man and this chaplain have. In other words, if salvation is through keeping your religious laws and your religious morals, then, then why are the Christian rules any better than the Buddhist rules or the Hindu rules or the Muslim rules or, or the person who makes up their own rules to live by? Are all basically the same morals which are all valid ways to God. They're all doorways which lead to the same salvation is what the chaplain taught. Christ says here's the problem. When sin entered man's heart, we can't make it into God's kingdom again by our own good works. That's a pre-fall position. Before sin, we live in a post-fall world. Because to enter God's kingdom, you must be righteous. And rules don't make us righteous. So from our side of the wall, there are no more doors open. Our sin has welded them shut. We need a completely different kind of door. A door that God makes and opens from the inside out. From, from His side of the wall. From heaven to earth. An entrance based on another's righteousness that does not depend upon me. An entrance that is solely by grace. And when Jesus says, I am the door of life, I am the way and the truth and the life, that is what he means. When he says it is a narrow door, it is because salvation comes from God through one person. Not the world which says we can all build our own doors through our good works. Let's go to the third thing. When Paul says, is saying it's a free gift. First, grace is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift in Christ. And the third thing that he means is faith. Faith is a gift of grace. You know, sometimes people have a misconception, don't they, that salvation is a contract between us and God. That God contributes grace and we contribute faith. And those two together save us. That's a winning formula. And the New Testament consistently teaches even your faith is a gift of God. Okay, Rusty, where else besides here? Let me read you two verses. Acts 18, 27. Listen to this. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Philippians 1, 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for him. Notice the language. Here, Acts, or Ephesians 2, faith is a gift. Acts says, by grace you believed. Philippians, God granted it to you that you should believe. <laughs> and so Paul's point is, your spiritual deadness does not actually allow you to believe. Even faith is not self-generated. It comes out of your heart through the grace of God. Okay, now let's pause there. Okay, Rusty, when we say Christian faith, justifying faith, what, what do we mean? Well, faith is a lot more than just consenting to what's true, right? J Judas would have preached. He would have proclaimed the truths of the gospel. 
And yet John 6 said he had no faith. The demons even called Jesus, O Son of God, Matthew 8, 29. So having saving faith is more than just agreeing that something is true. So what is it? Well, during the Reformation, they, they had three Latin words to describe the heart, the nature of saving faith. Natitia, ascensus, and fiducius. And you say, what in the world is that? Knowledge, assent, and trust. Okay? Those three. Let me explain. Knowledge. Saving faith always believes in something, right? Something that's accurate. The, the heart can't trust in assent to what the mind does not think is true or, or, or what you don't know. You can't believe and trust in what you don't know. That's the reason Romans 10 says, how can they believe without hearing the gospel? Because you have to hear and have a knowledge of the work of Christ before you can believe. That knowledge then brings us to the second thing. It allows you to assent to it. It, it means to say that the truths of the gospel are true. And the third is trust. It means then to place your personal trust in Christ. To rest on Him and Him alone for salvation. To get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> now, last thing here. Why does faith alone save? Okay? And Paul is very clear. It's not by works. It's not of yourself. It's a gift. Why? Verse 9. Look in your Bibles with me. So that no one may boast. That's one reason. What kind of boasting would we do? What kind of works would we be boasting about? Good works. <laughs> These are good things that we do that he's talking about. And Paul is saying, be clear. All the good things that you do, Jew or Gentile, they don't save so that you don't boast. The entire gospel was framed to destroy and free us from our greatest problem, the problem that sank man into the garden, pride and self-righteousness. The gospel says your salvation is entirely of God's free grace and love accomplished by someone else. It is a display of the glory of God's love and mercy and grace to you, not the glory of your achievements. There is nothing for you to boast and be prideful about in your salvation. But rather, the gospel is meant to humble us as how much God loves, how much grace He has shown us. And then, as we understand the depths of the gospel and what He's done for us, then to praise and to worship in Him with all of our hearts. Let's close with two things. How do we think and live this? How do you take this from your head to your heart? First is this. Don't confuse action and earning. Don't confuse action and earning. It, some might say, okay, Rusty, if it's all of grace, then why do I need to do anything? Why is there any action? Don't confuse action and earning. Faith is not opposed to action. Faith is opposed to earning. Christianity is not like a lake where you get in your boat, 
and you don't have to paddle, and you stay in the same place. Christianity is like a river <laughs> where you get in your boat, and if you don't paddle, you go swooshing downstream somewhere. And so it is with us. If we are not walking with a heart to know and love and follow and obey Christ, the sin of our heart takes us, not from our salvation, but relationally separates and makes distance between us and Christ if we do nothing spiritually. Earning is different than action. When Christ is Lord by faith, He calls us to action. Grace demands action. It wakes us up and gives us new life to act, to be obedient, to serve Him. These things, they don't earn salvation. They are the fruits of being saved. They come out of us because He put the Spirit in us. Second is this. Weak faith is still saving faith. That's very important. So I would say, labor to grow in your faith. How? By laboring to know Christ more. And the more you grow your relational, intimate knowledge of Jesus, the more the assenting part of your faith and the trust part of your faith will grow as well. But weak faith is still saving faith. Weak faith will get you to heaven just like strong faith, but the road is just a bit bumpier. It is like a sea voyage. The, the man with the strong stomach, he can come out on board on top of the ship and he can handle and he can smell the, the salt air. He can take in the beauty. Well, the person with the weak stomach is bound to be in the bottom of the ship where there's terrible smells and they're confined to their bed and they don't get to enjoy so much. Both arrive at the destination one just has a much better journey than the other. And so it is with faith. As our faith in Christ grows and our trust and our knowledge of Him grows, we begin to walk in the direction in life that He wants us to, which leads to glory for Him and amazing joy in our life through our relationship with Him and protects us from so much pain and sorrow that sin brings into our life. Father, I thank you for this time. Um, be worshipped. Let, let us leave here today in awe. We don't contribute faith and you contribute Jesus and that saves. Lord, it, it is all of your grace, Lord, to dead people. Father, and we just we want to be a people that respond and worship and adoration and giving you glory and wanting to know this God who loves us so deeply in a more profound way. And I pray right now, Lord, that uh, we would, as a congregation, grow in a faith that knows Jesus intimately and longs for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together if you're